Rob Sweet encouraged me to give a little update on uh, me and our family, and so I'll do that. Uh, this morning, um, uh, we've been, uh, we're doing great. I'll, I'll start there. We really are doing well. It's been fun for us. I've taken a, an extended amount of time off and uh, we spent a lot of time with the kids. We've traveled some. My kids are 18, 16, and 12. So they're a senior in high school, junior in high school, and then a seventh grader. They're all together at the same school, which has been great for us last year. And then, of course, again this year. And um, the time for me with my family has been especially good for me with my girls, being in high school and our relationship, God's just really deep in that relationship in some special ways, some unique ways. And um, we've learned how to talk better and communicate better and engage better and forgive each other better and apologize better. And so I've just been so grateful for that. It's been rich for my soul as well. And then um, my boy, 12, it's, it's great to be a 12-year-old boy. Some of you may have uh, kids in that age. My son is about three things. He's about sports, friends, and Fortnite. Those are the three things that make his world go, which is fun for us. And so he's doing really well too. Um, I, I might ask you to, to pray for our oldest, Lily. Lily's been sick for the last 18 months. She's got a, an autonomic dysfunction. It just means the automatic systems in your body are, are out of whack. And so there's a lot of symptoms related to that. She's actually improved some over the last few months. It's a little bit of a long road for us to, to full improvement about 80% or so live with little to no symptoms after three to five years. And so we're in that process. She's been out of school for the last um, uh, almost 18 months. She, she took two classes a day last, uh, last spring, which is a great uh, on-road back into, back into school. We're hoping she can go full-time uh, here in two weeks. So we'll see how that goes. We've got great care. We've been up at the Mayo Clinic and just gotten a great treatment plan. So we feel like we're really headed in the right direction. We'll be back up there in, in uh, three weeks. And, uh, and so I'd, encourage, I'd ask you, if you would, to, if you're thinking about us, we come to your mind, if you'd pray for Lily. Um, in fact, it's been interesting for me as I've prayed for Lily over the last several months. Many of you have come to mind. You know, we're, we're not the only one in the church body that deals with chronic illness or pain or health issues. And so I prayed for you specifically. I have those of you that I know. I've prayed for the church body at large for all the the wrestle that I don't know, when you're in it, it is, it is on your mind. And so um, I, it's fun for us to be able to pray for you and this body. And of course, for you guys, I'd encourage you that way to pray for each other, even if you don't know as well. It's a great gift to the church body to be able to find community in that way. And so I'd encourage you along those lines. Uh, thanks for listening to me. Let me give a little update. Those of you I don't know, you're like, I couldn't care less about his personal life. Why don't you just get to it? So thanks for bearing with me there, indulging me for a moment. Um, I want to get to the text, so take out your Bible, if you will, and open to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Take out your Bible or your phone. Uh, You just heard it read. You can just listen as well. If you don't have that, that's totally good. Uh, I'm going to read the text again just to get us back oriented here for context's sake. So let me do that, and then we'll dive in, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? Man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. There's a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? 
No man has the authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death. There's no discharge in the time of war and evil will not deliver those who practice it. All this I have seen and applied with my mind, applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. Now, if that sounded like a bit of dry toast to you, I want you to know it does to me as well. It's like I read this passage for the first time and I was like, okay, good. Thanks, Solomon, for your wisdom. Everybody turn over to John 3.16. That's, that's where we're going to go today. It's no wonder that Lloyd and Rob are gone this weekend. Imagine this conversation with them. Like, I'll take chapter one, you take two. Ooh, Ecclesiastes chapter eight. Hey, Wellens will come do that. Let's get, let's get him down here. So here I am, what a privilege it is to be here this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I'm going I'm to try to make some sense of this uh, today. Certainly God's Spirit will for us. I'm confident of that. So here's the context today. Um, you know, the preacher who is Solomon, or at least Solomon's voice, right? Somebody writing Solomon's voice for us. He, he's continuing his observations about the fallen world that we live in. And he's uh, given us counsel about how to live wisely in it. That's the context of where we've been, especially over the last two or three weeks. And so in this case, he's, he's actually giving counsel or offering wisdom to somebody who works in the king's court, a courtier, somebody that serves in the king's court, interacts with the king on a daily or at least a regular basis, probably someone who gives advice to the king. And he's offering counsel. He's telling him how to live wisely in the context of that day-to-day relationship. Okay, so that's our context for today. And in this passage, we're going to learn two things. We're going to learn some things that are true about the king, and we're going to learn some things about living wisely in the kingdom. Okay, and here's how I want to do that this morning. I'm going to actually talk about two kingdoms. I'm going to talk about the temporal kingdom that is our text, that is what it means to live wisely under political authority. I'm going to take a few minutes and make some comments about what it's like for us to live under political authority today, okay? And then we're going to turn to the other kingdom, and that is the eternal kingdom. Compare the temporal kingdom to the eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God. And the reason that we'll do that is because everything in Ecclesiastes all the sobering realities of the world that we live in today, they actually point us to another. They invite us, reality of today invites us to consider something more. Cause us to think not just about today, but about tomorrow and what's coming. So there'll be two parts to this message, the temporal kingdom and the eternal kingdom. The guys are going to put this uh, slide up behind me. And we'll look at some questions within the two kingdoms. Okay, what's true about the king? That'll be the first question that we look at. And then how do we live wisely in the kingdom? And we'll do that in both boxes there, both contexts. Okay, so let's talk about the king in the text. And uh, what does it look like? What's true about the king? So, and I'm going to make some comments here. Kind of what I'm going to do is I'm going to make some ob- observation about what's true about the king. Then we'll come back to the same verses and, and look at what it means to live wisely because it's all kind of interrelated here. So I'll just kind of skip through, grab some attributes of the king. Then we'll come back through and talk about living wisely in his kingdom. And the first thing that we see here is that the king's authority is absolute, Okay. And we see this in in verses 2 through 5a. So just glance back there for a minute. I say, Solomon to the courtier, I say, keep the command of the king. Three reasons. Because of the oath before God. Don't be in a hurry to leave him. We'll talk about that. Don't join him in an evil manner, for he will do whatever he pleases. 
Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble. So we see this word is authoritative. He does whatever he pleases. Keep the command of the king. All, otherwise, that might become trouble for you. In the ancient Near East, the king was the supreme. He was the political authority. He was decision maker, lawgiver, and judge. He had unlimited power. He was not accountable to anyone. No one challenged him. Nobody questioned his authority. He was in total control. This guy sounds like an absolute joy to work for, doesn't he? That's the king. That was true throughout the ancient Near East in each of the different kingdoms. So that's the first thing. He had absolute authority. Second thing, his character was deeply flawed, okay? Second thing that we know to be true about the king, and we see this just in this phrase in verse three, whatever he does, he pleases. Whatever he does, in whatever he does, he pleases and he will do whatever he wants to do. Solomon here is describing a very selfish king. This is a king that's bent on his own personal interests. This is a kingdom that is all about him. And we know this to be true for two reasons. One, we know some history of the ancient Near East that I mentioned a moment ago. The other reason we know this is because we know the same thing to be true, at least to a degree, about Solomon. Solomon did whatever he pleased, right? We've talked about this for several weeks. Wealth, possessions, power, wives, I've done all that's pleasing to me. I've pursued everything, every pleasure under the sun, everything I've ever wanted, I've gotten. That was true about Solomon, certainly true about this selfish king as well. It was Lord Acton, who was a uh, British politician in the 19th century, that said this. He said, power tends to corrupt, you may know this, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I think he's right, for sure in this case, his character, the character of the king was certainly corrupt, okay? So his authority is absolute, his character is deeply flawed, and finally, his rule was extremely harsh, And we see this in verse nine. Here's where it talks about his harsh rule. The writer, the preacher here, all this I have seen implied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun. There's our phrase again. Wherein a man has exercised authority, absolute authority over another man. Here's the key phrase, to his hurt. This man abused his power. This man used his power to harm used his power to cause misery for others. It was an oppressive and harsh rule, ruthless to those who are in his kingdom, okay? So we see three things, three brief things about the king. That's gonna help us here in a minute when we begin to understand what it looks like to live wisely in the kingdom. So let's turn there. Now, here's where Solomon spends more time. I want you to know this because this is really the the crux of what he wants us to understand. What does it mean to live wisely under political authority. And the first thing that we'll see here is that the wise submit to the king's authority. This king? Yeah, even this king. What does that mean? Well, let's look at it here. And I'll show you in verses two and three again. Here are those key phrases. Keep the command because of the oath before God. Don't be in a hurry to leave his court. Don't join him in an evil matter. So because of the oath of the king, now, we don't, we're not actually sure here if this is an oath that the king makes before God or if this is an oath that the courtier makes before the king. What we do know about the king is that in Israel's history, God had provided leaders all the way to the promised land. 
And then Israel asked God, would you create a king? Now that we're in the promised land, would you give us a leader? Would you give us a king? So what we know about the Old Testament, what we know to be true all the way to today, is that God is the one who actually appoints kings. So it's actually the people's responsibility. They're called to submit to the king's authority because he is, in fact, God's anointed. We see that in Hosea 11. We see that throughout the Old Testament, okay? So because of the oath of the king, what Solomon is reminding us here to do is that this is not just a human thing in terms of submission. This is a God thing. It's wise to follow the directives of the king, okay? So because of the oath before God. Second, don't be in a hurry to leave. Simply means it was disrespectful, even disloyal to leave the king's court without being dismissed. That's what it means. So, so if you're in the king's court, he's frustrating you. His decision is poor. You don't like it. You don't turn your back on the king. That's all that means. You don't leave the king's court. You submit, continue to submit to his authority. Don't join him in an evil matter. Third thing, that's interesting here, this phrase, and again, this is ambiguous in the text. It's hard for us to understand this Hebrew phrase. But the best interpretation, the most prominent interpretation is that this evil matter is not evil in the sense that comes to our mind immediately at all, or not wicked or sinister, even though that's true about the king's rule. It actually is better understood as like a bad idea. If you have a bad idea before the king, he doesn't, in other words, he doesn't like your suggestion, don't keep fighting for it. It's wise not to keep arguing for it. This was really helpful for me. There's an Old Testament scholar named Sam Bartholomew. He's really good if you ever want to read a commentary on Ecclesiastes. But he talks about it this way, and it was really helpful to me. He said, once the power of the king is regarded as absolute, which we know to be true, then any difference of opinion with him ironically becomes an evil matter. Do you see that? You stand against the king, and it's actually evil, terrible idea, unwise to do that. That's what it's talking about here, okay? Submit to the king's authority. Now look at verses five and six. We see it again. He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble. We talked about that. For a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. For there's a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. In our vernacular today, we might just say this. There's a time and place for everything, okay? So the wise understand that there's a time and place to give wisdom. They understand when to speak. They understand when to keep their mouth shut and listen. And isn't that true about the wise even today? I want you to take just a minute and I want you to think about somebody who has been wise in your life. It might be current, it may not be. Maybe it's somebody that has offered you wisdom in the past, but I just want you to picture somebody in your head Now, this is not somebody who's extremely smart and is offering knowledge. That's helpful. But I want you to think of somebody who who actually, when you share something that feels very complicated, complex to you, you're wrestling through it, maybe it's a life decision, this person has the ability just to simplify it or clarify it for you. Uh, It can offer a word that just kind of cuts through all the emotion and things you're feeling. Okay, so think about somebody like that in, in your mind. Now, I've had a little time to think about it. And the truly wise in my life, you know what's interesting about them? They actually listen more than they speak, don't they? Think, oh, I'm gonna go to somebody for wisdom. Well, I'm listening for them to talk, right? Well, it's interesting. They, they respect, they are cautious, they're gracious, they listen for understanding. And then when they speak, 
they actually don't say everything that they could say, do they? They say the thing that's most needed. It's most desired. They know when to say it and how to say it. That's still true of the wise today. It's helpful for our context as we think about wisdom in the court of this king, okay? Now, one final comment on submitting to the authority of the king, because I I don't want to confuse us here. This will be true for us today, too. Submission is not blind passivity, okay? It's not that we're just, okay, whatever goes, goes. No, we don't participate in wrongdoing in a king's court or under political authority day. It's not like it doesn't fail to stand up for what is right. It's submissive unless it crosses the boundary of the authority of God. That, that's the, the threshold. So Jesus probably said it best when he was talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders in the New Testament. We find this throughout the gospels. When he was talking to the religious leaders, they asked him a question about political authority. And his answer to them was this. He said, render to Caesar political authority in Rome and in Jerusalem of the day, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. Okay, that's the tension that we live in. And if it crosses the boundary of God's authority, then we are in fact loyal to God first. And of course, we see that throughout the Old Testament, don't we? Them making decisions to turn against a political authority that was against God and evil and wicked in nature. And be part of God's kingdom first, okay? The responsibility is in fact there, okay? So the wise submit to the king's authority. Second, the wise know something is missing in the temporal kingdom. They know something's missing. There's an emptiness or a hollowness to the kingdom. They know this isn't all there is. They know there's something more. They know there's something missing and get this, and they remain patient. Isn't the courtier in the text to be patient, not to leave, to submit, to keep the king's command? You see, the key attribute of the wise, or at least one of them, is patience. Patience in a temporal, difficult kingdom. So the wise know that the king is a sinful human being. They know that they live in a fallen and broken world. They understand that this world is not going to be made whole by human authority. So they get dissatisfied, certainly, and they have realistic expectations. Uh, The wise feel the tension that they live in, but they're okay living in the tension. They get frustrated, but their frustrations don't own them. I don't know about you, but this is convicting. This is pretty convicting for me. Steadfast patience under difficult authority certainly is political, could be other authority in your life, a boss, somebody else. Steadfast patience in a fallen world. That's hard to hold, isn't it? Well, that's true about the wise. Wise know something's missing in the temporal kingdom. And third, the wise know what's coming. This is part of the reason they're patient. They know what's coming. And I'll say it bluntly here, just like the text does, and I'll show you in a minute. What's coming? Death is coming. Death to the king. Look at verse 8, the first part of verse 8, 8a. No man has the authority to restrain the wind with the wind or the authority over the day of his death. So the king has absolute power, absolute authority on the earth, but he is limited by something, isn't he? His death is coming. He has no rule, no authority over the day of his death. He doesn't know when it's coming. He doesn't know how it 
will happen. He just knows that it is coming. He can't escape death. So the end of his kingdom is coming. It's temporal and the wise know that. They know all earthly power passes away. They know that this is a temporal kingdom. Okay, so we have three things that we know to be true about the king. We have three things that help us to understand what it looks like to live wisely in the kingdom. Now I want to make some comments here about what it's like for us. How do we live under political authority? First, what's true about our political authorities? Now, very different today, right? Democracy is different than a monarchy. We have rights and freedoms. We elect our public officials. There are checks and balances. We have president, Congress, judges. We've got it on the state level as well. Governor, state legislature, state judges, right? So we understand that this is a different context. But when we think about all that political authority entails, law giving, interpreting the law, law enforcement, when we think about all of it as a whole, we too live under authority, don't we? No one in here will deny that a policeman has the authority to give us a speeding ticket, right? No one in here denies that the, that the judge has the right to make us pay the speeding ticket, right? The authority to make us pay. That's just true about traffic violations. We have civil laws and consequences. We have criminal laws and consequences. We even have time and place. We have a proper decorum when we're in a court of law, don't we? Uh, A judge walks in, we stand. Judge sits down, we sit. There's a time and a place to speak. We too are a people who live under authority, aren't we? So like the king, our political authority has, there is political authority. We wouldn't say absolute, but we would say that we live under it. Secondly, the character of our political authorities is deeply flawed, isn't it? I don't have to take very long to convince you of that. It's all over the place. And it's unfortunate that we see time and again in the news, someone's character on display because they've made poor decisions with their life. It's true. Some are deceitful, some are selfish, some are prideful, uh, arrogant. You know, we actually have some too that are not just bent on their own interests. We have some that have integrity, don't we? Uh, Some that really do intend well, that want to represent the constituents, public civil servants, so grateful for that. They seem to be the few in our world today, don't they? But that's true too. But here's what we know about all of them. All of them are sinful, aren't they? All of them are flawed, just like us. Their character is flawed, and they're trying to lead in a broken and fallen world. It's a difficult position to be in. So we know that to be true. And then we might say this about the rule. I don't think we would say harsh. I think there's some in our nation that might say that. But I might just offer this word as a a place to start. You might have a different word for it. But I would just say that the rule is inadequate, right? It's fallen. It's not perfect. It's inadequate. And especially when you couple all the different factions, parties, beliefs, and values, and philosophies, it's hard for that to come together in any significant way and be adequate for those of us that live under it. So I might just say it feels inadequate. At times, there's political authorities that can truly be trusted. At times, we're under political authority that don't seem to be, or that we can't trust at all, right? There's times that there's words and decisions that, alienate, that divide, that polarize us. So the rule isn't as oppressive as a king, but it, it's also foolish to think of democracy as exempt from the abuse of power. It's just true here too, 
right? Okay, so there's some common themes for us in the temporal kingdom of the king and in the temporal kingdom of today. So how do we live wisely in our temporal kingdom? And I, I think the same is true. I think we submit to political authority. You know, what God calls us to, a respectful submission to the authority that, listen, that God has in place today. So why do we submit? Well, two reasons. One is a practical reason that I just mentioned a moment ago. If we don't submit to the law, the political rule, authority, then there are consequences to that. That's the practical reason. But there's also a theological reason. And I just touched on it briefly just a moment ago. The theological reason is this, that God still appoints leaders. God still allows for and permits leadership. Leadership often that we don't understand, but leadership that is in somehow, some way, part of his redemptive purpose and plan. God says, or or Solomon says in um, Proverbs, that kings and leaders of our nation today are are like water in his hand. They flow to and and fro as he wishes. We are still a group of people who understand that God has allowed for, permitted, and put in place our political authority. Uh, Paul says it great in Romans. He says this, be subject to the governing authorities. Subject. For there's no authority except from God. No authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. So governments are institutions that are designed by God for human good. And as such, we can't take them lightly, okay? So our submission here, I might just say it this way. Our submission here is an important part of our submission to God. Easy way for us to understand it. So we submit here because we submit to God's sovereign authority. We don't submit here. We don't just have a problem with temporal political authority, but we also have a problem with God's authority. Not so much this that matters to us as it is this. God's in control, and he's offered us an opportunity to submit to his control by remaining patient under difficult circumstances as it relates to our authority. Okay, you tracking with me? So let me just ask you a question here. I'll pause and do this. How's your attitude toward political authority? Hmm. Can you speak about political authority with respect? Can you disagree with policy without disparaging the one who thought of it, communicated it? Can you trust that our political authority day is actually God's provision for us? It's a part of his redemptive plan and purpose. Do you have some level of compassion for political authority who are flawed in their character just like we are? You know, we could put a bunch of us as the political authorities in the room and there would be similar issues at times, wouldn't there? Do you pray for your political authority? How's your attitude today towards political authority in each of our lives? You know now part of why I didn't enjoy this text this week. It's not easy, is it? I think that's what God calls us to. Submit to authority. Second, we too know something's missing and we remain patient. A question, show of hands here. How many of you are dissatisfied in some way, some aspect of political authority right now? I want you to raise them really high. I'm almost touching the ceiling. Can you see that? Yeah. Yeah. 
good. It's broken. There's gaps. There's holes. It's, it's not an eternal kingdom. It's not perfect. It's not fulfilling. It's not satisfying. We should be dissatisfied. This is a temporal, hollow kingdom. And listen to me on this. This side of Christ's return, that will always be true. Always. Doesn't matter who's in office. That will always be true. Now listen, do we still engage the issues? Do we still stand for what's good? Do we still try to make things better? Yes, absolutely we do. Passivity, not at all. It's an understanding. It's a perspective. Do we believe that government change will fully solve the underlying issues of human authority? No, never. And the wise remain patient in that tension because, number three, we too know what's coming. We know what's coming to this temporal kingdom. What's coming to this temporal kingdom? Well, there's going to be a new authority, at least a large group of them, in January. A bunch of them will not be there in a few months. We know that this leadership group will not be the same leadership group a couple of years from then. We know that the next and the next and the next and the next and the next, all of those political authorities, all of those leadership regimes, so to speak, all of those will end. All of them are temporary, right? All earthly power will fall away. And we actually know something else, this side of the cross. So in Ecclesiastes, other side of the cross, they're thinking about, man, this world is difficult. How do we submit to authority in this world? We know that temporal authority will come to an end. We have some hope in that. This side of the cross, we actually know more about what's coming, don't we? We actually know that all temporal authority will end. We actually know that a new kingdom is coming with a new king, one who will rule and reign forever and ever. So because of that, because we know what's coming, we know that something's missing, then we can live, we can truly live in two worlds. Now, let me say this as well. Um, When I thought about this this week, this phrase just kept, just stayed in my head the whole week. And it's like this, you know, the wise today, if I were to sum it up in a sense, the wise today, they worry less about today and they long more for tomorrow. That's the perspective. We worry less about today. We long more for tomorrow. So we live in this world. We care about this world. We engage, we have concern, but we are not of this world, right? We're made for a another. So we feel the tension and frustration and pain of this world, but it doesn't shift us off course. There's something bigger and better coming. There's something greater that anchors us. Okay, so we've looked at temporal authority, both in history, in the ancient Near East, and today. Let's turn and talk about eternal authority. How is that different from the temporal authority that we live under today? So what's true about the king? In this case, of course, it's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Well, I'll start here. Jesus, too, has absolute authority. Now, wait a minute. We just said that about the king, that the king has absolute authority. How is this different? Well, Jesus' absolute authority is not limited by anything, is it? It's unlimited. He's not bound by time and space. He's not bound even by death. You see, this king, Jesus, he died, but death couldn't hold him. He was raised from the grave, sinless, yes, flawless, 
Yes, didn't deserve to die. He did it anyway on our behalf. But listen, the tomb cracked under the pressure. See, death doesn't know what to do with this kind of king. Death can't hold a sinless, holy, and righteous king. Listen to Paul's words from Ephesians chapter one. He says this, God raised him, Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority, far above all power and dominion, far far above all every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So do you have a name? Of course, do I have a name? Yes. Do your parents have a name? Grandparents have a name. Every generation prior to now have a name. Every generation that will follow have a name. We don't just call somebody guy, although we do if we don't remember their name. Man, what's up? No, everyone has a name. Jesus Christ has authority over every name, all the living and all the dead. His rule is above all absolute universal authority in all things, including life and death. Now, I wanna be clear here about the kingdom of God. When we talk about the kingdom of God, of course, we talk about it in two ways. We talk about it as already and not yet. So already in the sense that it has commenced, it's begun. God is authority. The kingdom of God is present in the hearts and lives of men and women. So he rules, Christ rules in those who have placed their trust in him. Okay, so we see God's kingdom in us as we change and we're sanctified. We see God's kingdom through us as he uses us. We see glimpses of the kingdom as we live in this fallen world that people might see light and hope in the midst of darkness, right? So God's kingdom is already, but God's kingdom is also not yet, right? So in other words, it's not fully consummated until the king returns, not fulfilled not satisfied, not complete, not whole yet, already and not yet. So you and I, we actually live in two kingdoms, don't we? We live in a temporal kingdom and we live in an eternal kingdom. And the eternal kingdom, that's the kingdom that's on its way. And that's the one that will fulfill our deepest longings and desires. That's the one that will be whole. Okay, everybody tracking with me? So we see here that Jesus has absolute authority. Second, Jesus' character, it's not flawed, it's flawless, isn't it? It's perfect. It's holy. You know what holy means? Holy means that when Jesus Christ walked on this earth, he was tempted in every way, shape, and form, and he was without mistake, without error. He never changes. He's never inadequate. He never contradicts himself. He is truth personified. And there's nothing about his character that could ever hurt or harm you and me. In fact, it's impossible for him to act in a way that's contrary to his character. Character is flawless. Finally, his rule is not harsh. It's loving and just. We can't even begin to get our arms around how loving Jesus Christ is, that king. Can't fathom it. The storehouse of his love is limitless. His death on the cross for you and I, a demonstration of his love. I I think this, 
as powerful as that is, and it is for all eternity, I think we're just scratching the surface of the love that we'll experience with him in his presence. He's loving and he's just. He's good, seeks the highest good for you and me. His words heal and bring joy. He's just, meaning he's honorable in every action, righteous in every way, always acts in accordance with what is right and true. Can you imagine if we lived under political authority that was that today? Always acting in accordance with what is right and true. He always acts in accordance with what he did for us on the cross. So get this, the kingdom of God, King Jesus, he is both just always and he is the justifier. So he's just, righteous in all his rule, never makes a mistake, and he is justifier, meaning that his righteousness was imputed to us, was offered to us in his death on the cross, that we are seen by the just God in his justice as just as well. Because he doesn't see us in our sin anymore. He's forgiven us for our sin, and his righteousness is ours. So under King Jesus, we are justified in his just kingdom. That's pretty powerful that that would be true for you and me. It's a different kind of king, isn't it? So we've seen the attributes of King Jesus. Now let's talk about application under the kingdom of God. How do we live wisely now in the eternal kingdom? I'll say it this way. The wise live fully submitted to and dependent on divine authority, the authority of Jesus Christ. So not just authority in our lives, not just submitted to it, but we're talking about divine perfect authority, which means this, which means even here and now in the temporal kingdom, we trust him by faith. We, we trust him to help us see through the fog. We, we trust him when we're in pain. We trust him when we don't understand at all what he's doing and why he's doing it in our lives. Well, how do we do that? Well, I, I think Lloyd said it very well last week. He said it this way. He said, We can trust God's actions because we know God's character. That's what we just talked about. He's good. He's trustworthy. We know that from scripture. We know that in our own lives. He's provided for us. He's made a way for us. He's been good to us. His words are true. He has our best interest at heart. I mentioned it a moment ago. He died for us. How much more trustworthy could a person be could God be to die, certainly to live, but if someone offered their life for you, somehow lived after, don't you think that person's trustworthy? It's incredible to think about the character of God. Fully submitted to, dependent on. Second, the wise know in God's kingdom, nothing will be missing because Jesus will be there. Nothing will be missing. Something's missing now, yes. Nothing will be missing then. I said it, everything will be made whole. No brokenness, no suffering, no fractured relationships, no emptiness, no hollow feeling, nothing unfulfilled. So whatever our expectations are now, they'll be greatly exceeded. We'll have joy surpasses everything we can know to be true today. Peace that surpasses all understanding and we'll know complete satisfaction in his presence, and it will be glorious. And then finally, the wise know what's coming, and in this case, it's not death, it's life. 
eternal life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ will be ours as well. We'll pass through death into abundant life just as he did. We'll be raised to join him at his throne. You see, this is the point of the whole text. Jesus Christ actually is the wisdom of God, personified. Listen to the way Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. He says this, but by his doing, by Christ's doing, you are in Jesus Christ, okay? Who became to us wisdom from God? Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He is wisdom. So the wise today who live in the temporal but look toward the eternal, the wise today seek a person named wisdom, chased after the person who is wisdom to us. And because we have our eyes set on him, we know that today is temporal, that tomorrow is coming, and that the King of kings and the Lord of lords will reign forever and ever. See, the eternal kingdom. So what? Uh, I wanna take and apply this a little bit for us. And I just encourage you as I ask uh, this question to think about the Holy Spirit's guidance in your own life. How do we take what we learn here? Some knowledge, you've heard it, you've read it. Now, what does it look like to apply it to our life? And I'm gonna ask a question. I'm actually gonna ask it three different ways because one of them might resonate with you more than another. And I just want you to consider this question before the Lord, okay? Here's, here, here's the first way we might understand it. What aspect of your life do you need to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ? What aspect of your life today do you need to submit to his authority? So maybe it's something in your life that you're trying to manage, to control, to manipulate in some way, to get what you want out of it, that you need to just offer to his authority instead of your own, okay? Here's a second way to ask it. What aspect of your life do you need to take out of the temporal context and put into an eternal context. Take out of the temporal kingdom and put it into the eternal kingdom. In other words, what I'm saying here is if you were to see it not just through temporal eyes, but to see it through an eternal kingdom, to have eyes to see it that way, might it change your perspective? Okay, does that make sense? Second way to ask it, here's a third. What aspect of your life do you need to worry less about today and simply allow it to help you long more for tomorrow? Would you take a minute before the Lord, ask the Spirit of God to help you apply it in your own life? Let's do that. Father, we submit ourselves to the authority of your Son. Would you give us patience and wisdom today? And would you give us a longing and great hope for tomorrow? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you to stand with me if you will. Let's send us out with the words of Paul from Romans chapter eight. This is such a great summary of where we've been uh, this morning. I will tell you that if, um, if you have something that you'd like to pray about with somebody, there'll be a prayer team over here to my right as we conclude the service. Love to spend that time praying with you and I uh, wanna make that available to you. Here's, Paul, here's what Paul says, Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. We know that word. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself 
also will be set free from its slavery, slavery to corruption and set free into the freedom of the glory that it is to be children of God. Go in peace to love and worship the Lord.